between the years 1889 and 1913, there was an emperor in the land of Ethiopia by the name of Menlik II. He's the forebears of Emperor Haile Selassie that was deposed back in the 60s. One day, Emperor Menlik II heard that in the West they have an instrument by which they punish criminals. And that instrument was called the electric chair. He liked the idea so much he asked his people to order one and buy it from the West. So they shipped one from Europe. And uh, when the electric chair had arrived, nobody has ever bothered to tell the emperor that the electric chair would not have worked in Ethiopia in those days. Because simply, they did not have electricity. (laughs) So after the chair had arrived, Menlik was determined that he's not going to let his purchase go to waste. And he is going to make use of it. So he turned the electric chair into a throne for the emperor, on which he ruled his nation. And thus, converting the instrument of torture and death into a throne fit for the king. Today I want to tell you about another throne that was converted from a throne of judgment to becoming a throne of grace. I want to tell you about this converted throne from being an instrument of pain and condemnation to being the instrument of salvation eternally. But this conversion was no accident. This conversion was not by mistake. This conversion was planned before the world began. I'm going to level with you, and I know that you're going to level with me, except we're not going to have a dialogue. The dialogue is going to be between you and God. As you're sitting there listening to me, I want to tell you in all seriousness, this is probably the most serious message on the subject of grace that I've been preaching in this series of messages. Probably it's the one thing that's going to make your life either a joyful life or a miserable Christian life. Because the truth be said, the vast majority of Christians become great prayer warriors when they are in trouble. The truth is this, vast majority of Christians develop a wonderful prayer life when they are desperate. That is the fact. Now, you don't believe me? Go to any church you like anywhere in the world and compare the percentage of those who turn up for prayer meeting with those who turn up for Sunday meetings. And then see what I'm saying. Right across the board. No qualifications. No geographical boundary or limitation. You will discover that those who turn up for prayer meeting are far less in number than those who turn up for Sunday worship. Or ask the average Christian, how long do you spend in your personal prayer time when everything is going well in your life? That's the improviser here. Not how long do you spend in your prayer life when you're in trouble. How long do you spend in your prayer life when everything is going just fine? No problems. I've been on the 
giving interviews about my book, The Prayer That God Answered. And the one thing I hear from the interviewers again and again and again, but Dr. Yusuf, we just don't have time. We live busy lives. I said, I tell you what. I said, I want to make you a deal. Get a pad next to you in your living room. And then mark down the number of hours that you watch television. I don't care. It's news, not news, just anything. Just mark those numbers. Mark those hours. Add them up. Then add the hours and the moments, probably the seconds, in which you spend in intimacy with God. You'll discover that you've got plenty of time. We all have time. Get up early. Go to bed late. Do whatever it takes to be in intimacy with God. Because that is going to make a difference between whether you live a joyful life or a tormented life. Why is that? Why is that? You know that I've been thinking about the subject for a long time. I struggled with the subject for a long time. And I am so thankful to God that years ago when I really made the commitment to the Lord that I do want to spend time with Him. Guess what? The day that I sleep in, it's around 4.30 in the morning. (laughs) That's when I sleep in. I have no alarm, nothing. But God has answered the desire of my heart that I want to spend time one-on-one with Him, that I want to spend time communing with Him. And God answered that prayer. It is His goodness that I'm testifying to you, not my failure. Now, I want to tell you something. There are several reasons that are working against us to stop us from developing that incredible power resurgence in our lives. Number one, we have an enemy. We have an enemy who knows more than you do. He knows more than I do. What an incredible power. What an incredible strength that we get when we come to the throne of grace. And he knows that. He knows it better than we do because it's out in the supernatural realm, beyond this physical realm. He knows what God is doing. So what does he do? He does everything within his power to cut the source of the supply line by stopping you from praying. There's a second reason why this works against us. And the second reason is this. We genuinely, seriously, do not comprehend. We really do not understand. We do not comprehend the awesome privilege of praying. We really don't. We do not understand the unbelievable provisions that God made possible only in prayer. We do not understand the secret power that God has promised, that God has planned for every one of His children, but only in prayer. We do not appreciate the power of connectedness with the Almighty God and the all-powerful God of the universe. We do not understand that, and we do not appreciate it. Then the third reason as to why we don't pray when things are going well in our lives is because of our pride. Our pride. You say, how does pride work here? Well, listen carefully, please. Our pride tells us that we can solve any problem. Our pride tells us that there is nothing we could not achieve through hard work. Our pride tells us that we can accomplish anything that we set our mind to accomplish. Isn't that the gospel of the secular world? Our pride tells us that if we spend enough time, spend enough energy, and use our logic, we will do anything we can. We will do anything we want to do. Now, beloved friends, I want to tell you, and I really hate to tell you this, but it's the truth. What I just said goes for many a church, many a Christian ministry. That's the sad part. 
And I tell you, that is precisely why we are in deep spiritual trouble in this country. To begin to comprehend the power of the grace of God that is available to us only in prayer. I want you to turn with me please to Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16. I'm only going to focus on one verse. Hebrews 4.16 is an invitation of all those who put their trust in Jesus Christ. Of all those who claim to be the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. To come and see and experience and know the awesome power of the grace of God that's available to them when they come to the throne of grace. Hebrews 4.16 is an invitation to come to the converted throne that was converted from being a throne of judgment to being the throne of grace. So that they may experience from the hand of God unbelievable and untold blessings through His grace. Today I want to tell you about the grace of God that can only be found, listen to me very carefully, that can only be found in that converted throne of grace. You see, when the Bible speaks about a throne, it does not speak of what most people imagine God being an old man like old son Nick sitting on a big chair and just laughing all the time, you know, and happy with whatever you do. Now, that's really the, the faulty image that a lot of people think about God. But when the Bible speaks about a throne, it is a figure of speech. It is a figurative language describing the awesome power of God. This is a figure of speech describing the awesomeness of the sovereignty of God, of the absolute control that God has over the whole universe. How does the Bible describe the throne of God? Well, the Bible describes the throne of God as a throne of judgment. The Bible describes the throne of God as a throne of condemnation. The Bible describes that throne as the seat of judgment on which God is sitting and judging the world. If you want to see some examples, turn to Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. There you'll see what I mean by this throne being the throne of judgment. Listen to what John said, Revelation 20, verse 11. And I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, and I saw the dead great and small, standing before the throne. And books were open. What are these books? Why are there books that are open? Well, these books are the documentations. These books are the evidence that the courts of heaven are bringing against those who refuse to submit their life to Jesus Christ. These are the evidence that the courts of heaven are living upon those who have heard the gospel message again and again and again. And they still put their trust in a church, in religion, in ritual, in a priest, in a bishop, in somebody else other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Those are the books. And this is the throne. Let me tell you something. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, if you have never committed your life to Him, this ought to be a very frightening thing for you. But here's the good news. The good news is today you can experience a conversion of the throne of judgment to being to you the throne of grace. Because that's exactly what the writer to the Hebrews is trying to tell us here. 
The Holy Spirit of God in Hebrews 4.16 is telling us that this throne of judgment to those who love God, to those who have committed their lives to Jesus Christ, have been converted and became the throne of grace. That's what this verse in Hebrews 4.16 is saying. That the throne of condemnation to those who love the Lord Jesus Christ, those who committed their life to Jesus Christ, has now become the throne of mercy, the throne of grace, the throne of power, the throne of strength. When Isaiah saw the throne of God, he could only say one thing. He just started muttering. He said, Woe to me, I am ruined. But here in Hebrews 4.16, the Holy Spirit of God is telling us that that same throne to those who love the Lord Jesus Christ, this frightening, scary, terrifying throne has become to us a throne of grace. Say amen. Amen. To us, we have no fear anymore of judgment because we have escaped from judgment into life, eternal life. It is to us now a throne of grace. It is to us now a throne of receiving unmerited favor day after day after day. To us it has become a throne of great blessings from the hand of God. Today it has become a throne of unlimited forgiveness at the hand of God. Today it has become to us a throne of unlimited power and unlimited strength from the hand of God. Why? Has this throne of judgment become to us the throne of grace? Three very good reasons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Why is that throne converted from being the throne of judgment to those who love Jesus to becoming the throne of grace? First, God the Father. Jesus tells us in Matthew 7, 9, 10, and 11... That God the Father, listen carefully please, that God the Father is anxious. Just understand that for a minute, comprehend it, take it in. God the Father is anxious to give good gifts to His children. Why has the throne of judgment become the throne of grace? God the Son, who sits on the right side of God... He is our great high priest, the Bible said. And the Bible told us that our great high priest understands us. Our great high priest sympathizes with us. Our great high priest knows our weaknesses. As our great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ waits for us every single day to come to the throne of God, not for condemnation, but for a blessing. As our great high priest, he is waiting for us every single day to come to the throne of grace in order to give us power over temptation. As our great high priest, he is waiting for us in order that we may receive victory over the trials of life. Why has the throne of judgment been turned into a throne of grace for those who have committed their lives to Jesus Christ, God the Holy Spirit, as our advocate, our comforter, our counselor. He is full of grace, and He cannot wait for you to come so He may fill you with grace. 
Why has the throne of judgment become the throne of grace? (laughs) The triune God. Because the God of grace, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all the members of the Godheads, all three members of the Godhead, each member of the Godhead has a part, plays a role in hearing and answering of our prayers. You want to know why? Because Jesus opened that door to us who have received him into our lives. He has opened the door in order that we may receive the abundance of the awesome grace of God on a daily basis. Listen to me very carefully. I don't want you to misunderstand me. Because there is a biblical depth to this. There is a biblical depth to the awesomeness of the grace of God that only became possible for those who put their trust in Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, the Ark of the Covenant was the sole piece of furniture that was kept in the most holy place of the Jewish temple. You say, well, what's that Ark of the Covenant? Well, use your imagination. Imagine a box that is three feet long with one and a half feet tall. That's it. It's a box. Three feet long. That's all it is. The lid of that box, that lid is made of pure gold, representing the purity and the righteousness of God. Inside the box were the tablets of the commandments, The Ten Commandments that God gave Moses on the Mount Sinai. That was inside the box. But on top of the lid, I want you to visualize with me. On top of that lid, there were two figures known as the cherubim. These are angelic figures. Symbolically, God wanted to relate to those folks coming out of Egypt... If you've traveled to Egypt, you see idols everywhere. Because they saw this is Horus, this is the God that... Everything was visual to them. And they just came out of that land of slavery into the desert. And God was trying to communicate to them His awesomeness through visual aids. So this Ark of the Covenant in which He told them to put the Ten Commandments in. And to put two angelic figures known as the cherubim. Facing each other, this is all on top of that lid, of that box that's three feet long. Symbolically, God himself was present between those two cherubim. And as God looked down upon humanity that he has created, what he sees are the ten commandments that he has given the humanity. (laughs) Commandments that every one of us have broken. And therefore we deserve judgment and the judgment of God for breaking these commandments. And that is why the lead functioned as the judgment seat. Now you understand a little bit of what I'm trying to tell you. But that lead was not always called the judgment seat. One time a year the name changed to be called the mercy seat. It was called the mercy seat. Why? For that once a year, it's called the mercy seat. Because once a year, on the Day of Atonement, after the high priest sacrificed an innocent lamb, an innocent animal, asking for the forgiveness of his own sins first, then for the sins of all the people of Israel, he goes out with the blood and he sprinkles that blood of that innocent lamb 
on the judgment seat, turning it into a mercy seat. Because God looks down, they're doing exactly what He told them to do, He forgives them. That seat no longer is a seat of judgment during that day, it's a seat of mercy. What was He doing? And what really was happening that moment, the blood sprinkled on that mercy seat. Very important to understand, listen carefully please. At that very moment, that ark no longer is a picture of judgment, but instead it became a picture of grace. (laughs) But only for one day, (laughs) one day a year. Not only on that day the throne of judgment becomes the throne of grace, because the blood of an innocent sacrifice was slain for the sin of the high priest and the sins of the people. And God chose to forgive them. And that is why it was called the mercy seat. Now you understand what the writer, the epistle to the Hebrews is trying to do. You understand what he's trying to say. Listen carefully, please. He is saying that when God the Son shed His own blood on the cross of Calvary, the most innocent blood of all, not only did He do away with animal sacrifice ritual forever, but when the great high priest shed His own blood, the throne of judgment to all those who love Jesus, to all those who have committed their lives to Jesus, has permanently changed from being the throne of judgment to being the throne of grace. Do you want to say amen? amen. <laughs> Not once a year. Not just for a certain period of time, no. Not just for a brief moment, not just for Israel, not just temporarily, but once and for all. There's one great difference between all of the high priests of Israel and the great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. They had to atone for their sin first then atone for the sins of others. But our great high priest did not have to do that. Why? Because he had no sin. He was tempted in every way, but he never committed sin. He was perfect. He was holy. He was sinless. He was righteous. And that is why he's the only one who can get you to heaven. Jesus Unlike other high priests, he permanently transformed the throne of judgment to those who follow him to becoming a throne of grace. For all who put their trust in Jesus Christ, it's no longer a throne of judgment, it's only a throne of grace. And that is why the writer to the epistle to the Hebrews is inviting all those who claim to have put their trust in Jesus Christ to draw near with confidence to that throne of grace. What does that mean? It means that if you try to come to the throne of grace based on your own merits, how good you are, how hard you have worked, you cannot have any confidence that your words are going above your nose. It means that if you try to come to the throne of grace based on how good you are, the throne of grace becomes a throne of terror to you, becomes a throne of judgment to you. But if you come trusting only in what Jesus did for you, if you come confident only in Christ's shed blood for you, then you're going to find grace. In the times 
of need. Let me explain that verse very carefully. He's not saying that only when you're in times of need and in times of trouble, come to the throne of grace and you receive it. That's not really what he's saying. He's saying that when you come to the throne of grace regularly, when you come to the throne of grace daily, when you come to the throne of grace on a consistent basis, that you already have power, you already have strength, you already have grace. So when the need arises, you're already empowered. That's what he's saying here. Now, beloved friends, I want to tell you, there are some who are hearing me right now who are distraught and fearful. There is grace for you at the throne of grace. There are some who are hearing me right now who are in desperate need of wisdom and discernment. There is grace for you at the throne of grace. There are some who are discouraged and about to give up. Let me tell you, there is grace for you at the throne of grace. Some of you are weak and and feel defeated. Let me tell you today, there is victory for you in the throne of grace. Are you going through a trial in your life? Trials that are too hard to even verbalize or describe to somebody else. There is grace for you at the throne of grace. Are you trying to fight temptation with your own strength and you keep on failing and you keep on failing and you're frustrated? I want to tell you there is power in the blood when you come to the throne of grace. Listen to what James said. James said, you do not have. Why? Because you don't ask. It's that simple. But then for some, he said, when they ask, they ask for the wrong things. They ask with the wrong motive. They ask the wrong way. And that's why they don't get. I want to tell you a story that summarizes what I've been trying to tell you in the past few minutes. In the East, there is a an ancient legend that tells of a king, a monarch, who had hired some people to make some tapestries for him, to make some garments for him. Among them, there was a young boy. This young boy seemed to everybody to be so skilled, so able, more than the people three times his age. He's able to make beautiful tapestries. He was able to make beautiful robes, beautiful garments. Now the king gave them all the same amount of silk. He gave them all the patterns that he wanted them to follow. He only gave them one, made one request. And the request was this. If you find yourself going the wrong way, making mistakes, don't wait. Come to me immediately. Call me, and I will show you how to correct it. Well, this particular young man kind of made really very quiet, but fast and speedy progress in what he was doing. While all the others, three times his age, they were distressed, and they were constantly failing, and constantly untangling, and constantly redoing what they were doing. And one day the other tapestry makers decided to go and talk to this young lad and and they gathered around him and they asked him and they said, why are you so happy? Why are you you, so successful in what you do? And you days ahead of us at work. Why are we always in trouble? Why are we always feeling that we're not going anywhere? Why are we always frustrated and you seem to be doing all right? We find ourselves either getting the silk all entangled or the weaving Vary from the pattern. 
And that causes a great deal of frustration. Something is always going wrong. Something is always wrong. Why? What's going on here? The young lad thought for a minute. And then he said to them, he said, uh, Don't you remember the words of the king when he told us to go to him whenever we needed help? Yeah, yes. Yes, well, we finally asked him for assistance. And, but by then, things have become so snarled and, and things have become so confused. And, and it's taking us days to unravel our mistakes. The boy said, well, did you notice me constantly going to him, always going to him? Did you see how often I went to him for help? <laughs> they said, yes, but he's a very busy king. And furthermore, we thought that you were arrogant in constantly disturbing his peace and constantly going to him. (laughs) The poor young man looked at them and said, Well, all I did is I took him at his word. All I did is I took him at his word. And he was more than happy to help me. Now, beloved friends, I want to tell you something. If an earthly king is glad to be taken at his word... How much more the king of kings wants you to take him at his word. So I end my message where I have began. Listen carefully. That the reason we do not go to the throne of grace always, often, and regularly is because we do not comprehend the promise of the awesome power that's reserved for us when we tarry. In his presence. We do not understand the abundance of grace that can be poured upon us from the throne of grace when we approach him in confidence. And the promise is this let us approach the throne of grace regularly to help us when the time of need arises. Shall we pray? The worst thing you can do is just feel bad for a few moments that your prayer life is not what it ought to be and then do nothing about it. You'll end up like those folks who are constantly frustrated, constantly in failure, constantly knee-deep in trouble. But if you you heard the Holy Spirit speak to you today, say, Lord, help me to develop a consistent, regular, persistent time with you. But if you know how to pray, then the only thing left is for you to make a decision to set aside the time to be in the presence of God. Beloved, I think God wants to do great and mighty things, but somehow He will not do them when people, His people, do not tarry. And wait in the throne of grace. Let me urge you. Let me plead with you. That as we commit ourselves afresh. We commit ourselves to coming confidently. Regularly to the throne of grace. Father, it is unbelievable privilege. That you invite us to come to your throne room. And we keep turning you down. Turn your invitation down. Only when we need you, we come to you. And then 
The other times we just not an acquaintance with you. Father, forgive us. Teach us to be patient in prayer, to come and receive power from the throne of grace. We thank you that you have converted the, the throne of judgment, the throne of condemnation for us who love you to become the throne of grace. Teach us to use it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.